I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are once again to have a little dive into films, past, present, chat about what we want to see in the film future as well, but we want to wrangle our way through this latest film, and when I say we, we... We are a collective of film reviewers here. It's not me. I know sometimes I might rant on a little bit and you think it's just me going on, but no, I'd be nothing without my connoisseur of film, thinker of thoughts that are above everything else in the world and society. So my good friend and film lover, Callum, of course he's here. He's joined me once again for a film chat. How are you doing, Callum? And how are you feeling today? What a preamble <laughs> yeah. um, to introduce, yeah. Uh, I'm well. Good, mo- good morning. Yeah, fantastic. Good, good. Well, I always want to make sure you get a welcome that you deserve because, as I said, you know, the, your mind, the engine behind this, you know, we'd be nothing without it. So, just want to make sure that the audience are aware of that and and you feel recognised in in the work that you do. A vital cog in the creative machine, as it were. Exactly. Well, that um, industrial imagery really brings it home. Is it the the flag of Billy Bragg that I have in the background? Is it, is that <laughs> it, it could is? be. That that helps, you know. It feels there's an extra power and, and force behind you today, which I can feel running through my veins. I am um, I'm yeah, I mean I'm it's been, I'm feeling quite well. Well, am I feeling well? I got a bit of a scratchy throat. It's that time of the season, isn't it? Which only gonna add year. to the lovely uh, raw gruffness of your voice for the listeners. The husk. <laughs> Husk, husk of a man. Husk of a man, yeah. Like, um, I've been talking too much rubbish, obviously. And that's why probably why my voice has gone. I don't going. think ever talk too much rubbish. There's within the rubbish is the is the joy and the gems. You find, find a jewel. Yeah, there'll be a jewel in there. There will yeah. be a jewel in there, don't you worry. But uh, how's things been? I've heard you've been taking in some further culture recently. Yeah, I went to um I went to two exhibitions yesterday actually. Uh, that's nice. went, yeah, that's a good strike rate. Well, it was nice just to wake up of a, of a weekend and not be hungover. Yeah, um, yeah, always a bonus. Yeah, I just had a relatively quiet Friday, and then I actually felt compelled on Saturday to do something constructive. So I went to see a Dido Moriyama retrospective, which was really interesting. Um, I also went to an exhibition at the Tate about women in revolt, um, which was all about the women's liberation movement in the 1970s. Um, the Moriyama exhibition, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, spent far too much money on photography books. Thought I'd get that in there. It is one of your favourite sort of pastimes, like, isn't it? Of, uh, spend, spending money. <laughs> <laughs> spending money one, but really investing in, um, in photography books, but a big merch man. Well, the thing is, eventually... I'm going to class that under merch. Well, I, I did. I did. Get, I got an exhibition poster, which okay. I need to get. I need to get framed. But um, so, if there's any framers out there who are willing to do a, a special glacé rate, just let us know. Well, it's got you know, as you know, it's got sweet FA to do with what you've actually read. It's just how good your bookshelf looks. Yeah. Um. Although, <laughs> I mean, the uh, I actually got a copy of Robert Frank's The Americans. Um. Do you remember that from university? Was, um, I mean, I probably should have read it, but it's not ringing any bells, unfortunately. It was like it was um, 
sort of uh, Jack Kerouac's written a forward in it. Okay. Um, well, uh, but yeah, it's very it's it it's a very good photography book. It's very interesting. Um, I don't think what else I've been doing. Um, but what about your upcoming gigs as well? I'm intrigued for you to share oh, these with yeah, listeners. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we'll have some fellow listeners who are diving into these same concerts as well. Maybe we could organise a a glacé film club meet up at any fellow attendees at the concerts. But you're a big gig goer and some big ones lined up for you. Well, I, I do think I'm, I'm, I'm going to be eating, eating noodles for the next few months, for the next month, I suppose. Um, I bought a, I bought a Green Day ticket and a Bruce Springsteen ticket. Um, bang, bang. There Two big ones there. Yeah. Drop both, those names. Both at Wembley Stadium. I, bought, I got a front pitch standing for both of them. Which costs extra, um, and then the fees cost more, and then everything else costs more. But it's going to be epic. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, there's nothing, you know, going to have standing in a it, Bruce Springsteen singing about the plight of the working man with a with a, a ticket worth hundreds of pounds, <laughs> waving wave, waving in the air, and then then Green Day, you know, singing about working class penury. I suppose, or sort of disengagement, being jaded, whilst also waving a ticket in the air that's worth hundreds of pounds. I'm trying to look past the hypocrisy, Marcus. I yeah, really you am. can do it. I believe um, in you. Keep just keep squinting hard. It's the it's the voice of my youth. It's just they are they are the band. <laughs> they are they are that's Green Day is the band. That's the band. It is the new it's, album out now. It's coming out next year. Um, uh, I bought um, say how, how, how pretentious does this sound? I bought a, a cassette. Um, of the new album, and I don't even have a cassette player. Why did you go for cassette um, over vinyl? Because my vinyl player's in Blackpool, and I the cassette looked... I think it'll look quite cool on my shelf. Well, there you go. As, as it um, all comes round to and it was what cheaper. looks good on the shelf. And it was cheaper. Signific- significantly cheaper. <laughs> um, well, I next to- time I ever look at your shelf, I'll be sure to admire it wholeheartedly. Well, I, I needed to get the, I needed to get the, the, um, the, the cassette because... It was the only way I could get pre-sale. It's a cheeky new way of approaching it now, isn't it? Uh, this happened when I bought Arctic Monkeys tickets as well, and I've got a, a CD copy of their latest album. Again, no longer have a CD player. Yeah. It's a nice little way to get your record sales up, isn't it? Yeah. it worked. Hey, makes sense. Who am I to knock them? But let's stop knocking big musicians and mm. go into the world of film discussion, Callum, because we've gone back in time today for a big epic film with a director we've never touched upon on the podcast but probably should have since that is one of the most famous directors of all time so without further ado Callum can you tell us about the film we're going to be diving into today please so we watched the 1960 American historical epic um, Spartacus uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick uh, written by Dalton Trumbo and starring Kirk Douglas, Laurence Olivier, um, and yeah, what a, what a, what a cast already! To name but a few, yeah, just to name but a few. Um, but it's based on um, it's about a slave, a Thracian slave who leads a leads a rebellion against Rome um, in the Third Civil War, um, and uh, Plutarch actually. Um, Getting some historical knowledge in here now, just because you know I did I did classics at college, um, <laughs> just to sort of like you know, <laughs> um, yeah, Plutarch described Spartacus as a Thracian of nomadic stock, 
um, which is quite an interesting way to frame it because throughout the film, um, his identity of being Thracian and being a, so this nomadic slave is constantly referred to because he's basically uh, leading a slave rebellion against the Roman Empire. Um, and it's all about the power of the people, how meaning can be found in the classical world for the present. Um, and it kind of focuses on how the Roman Republic, well, it's not the Roman Empire, sorry, that's, that's, that's a mistake, it's the Roman Republic at this stage. Um, but it's basically kind sort of slid into corruption. Um, and Spartacus basically becomes uncooperative and he sees the sort of the, uh, how barbaric, um, the Republic is with gladiate, gladiator fights and men being forced to fight to the death and um, it kind of juxtaposes Spartacus's struggle against an oppressive regime and the, the oppressive regime is the uh, the Senate, the Roman Senate um, and Julius Caesar's there and um, Crassus is there um, two of the, the uh, political triumvirate that, that is formed later um, in the film but you know, as always, uh, films of this stature, as the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress, and I've said this before, it is a, yet another culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant film. Well, we do not um, shy away from them on this podcast. Not at all. But yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's about a slave rebellion and the, um, the, the political tension between slave class and the Senate class really challenges the sort of the the narrative of, of Rome being this inclusive, um, progressive thinking um, civilization. Mm. And in some respects it was, but like what this film does, it sort of like complicates that by placing the power um, with a, in, in, the, in the hands of a slave who has no political power. But I think what Kubrick, I mean, it's, it's the, it's interesting in the sort of the, the political landscape in which the film was made as well in 1960 with McCarthyism and what happened to Dalton Trumbo and um, Kubrick's political leanings generally. But we'll talk about that in the review. But yeah, I mean, that was that was uh, Spart- that is Spartacus, really. I am Spartacus. We are Spartacus, as I suppose. Um, so yeah, there we go. Thank you very much, as always, Callum. Wonderful overview. Yeah, straight in. So after watching it, during watching it, big epic film. As I said, going into it, knew it was going to be this big epic adventure drama, but obviously in length of watching it. But the actual watching experience, I really enjoyed. I think it's a great example of strong filmic storytelling in that we've gone for this because, as I said, we've not reviewed a, a Kubrick film before. And I've watched a few of his stuff over the years and really liked his style, but more of his... Uh, later modern feeling stuff. Obviously, 2001 Space Odyssey in there. You've got The Shining, which really grabbed me, actually, The Shining. I think the, uh, what I think feel iconic about The Shining is that distinct filming style, which is often aligned with Kubrick of, like, the centralization of framing and, and things like that, which you don't necessarily see as much in this. Maybe that's because he's earlier stuff, but I think what this is is the, the power of the story told unbelievably well. And, on the last episode, Callum talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, we were looking at a really long film there and trying to avoid the 
easy cop-out of the critique of it being long, but saying, what is the point of it being long, and what can you do with a longer film, and what do you need to do for it to be enjoyable? And I think in this film, why it is so enjoyable of a watch, is that the story is told so well, it's gripping, and actually a critique I had for Killers of the Flower Moon was that the emotional ride of it isn't as up and down as it could be, whereas I did feel connected with the emotion of this film, not only do you watch a very um, immersive narrative, which for a long film has a lot of changes, there's a lot going on, the story develops in different ways, and you get a big old battle scene as well, which is always nice to throw in there, but the emotion and the cause and the themes of the film, you feel that connection with it. And a film that was made over 50, 60 years ago, is is my maths on point there? Yeah. Um, Is that it feels still very modern in its values and approach and its storytelling technique. And when it comes down to it, a film really rides on its story and its ability to captivate at its core. And this absolutely does that. As you said, let's get into those wider things. There's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss on this front. But I just thought it was a really well done film that I enjoyed watching throughout even if that's just for the story element of it so yeah great can see why it's an epic and align with uh, the, the library of congress for it but Callum what about you like obviously going into this as I said Kubrick an earlier one of his mm. what's he gonna what did he do with it big film did you get a similar reaction how did you feel in terms of the watching experience well I, mean, I think I mean the sort of the narrative of, a, of an oppressed class sort of um, moving against an oppressor is kind of like a timeless theme in some respects. I mean, um, a, a lot of films of the 20th century focus on those those concepts. Um, but I think what's quite interesting about this particular film is that it's sort of it's rooted in, in a reality. Like, um, I know that uh, George Lucas was inspired by... Um, Kubrick in terms of his filmmaking um, and you know one could say that you know Star Wars is a really similar I can't believe I'm comparing Spartacus to Star Wars here but um, like there's a <laughs> that's that's um, can I, I be can I be any more of a bloke right now um, <laughs> but embrace uh, it on this one Callum. yeah um, but like the that that's that that that's a sort of like a, a group of a, a sort of a, an oppressed resistance movement against uh, an oppressive regime, mm-hmm. um, and that's what that's what the slave rebellion represents. For me, I think it play Kubrick plays a lot of makes a lot of emphasis on music. I think the juxtaposition between music and creating tension, I think, is quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, that um, opening <laughs> opening sequence of like eight and a half minutes when yeah, the credits yeah. on it and you've just got a blank screen of playing a oh, orchestral sure. piece. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I think it, it, it it's designed to sort of create the sort of the concept of the epic. It's like introducing something yeah. epic. Yeah. Um, and it's, but it's, in, it's introducing an epic story mm-hmm. um, in lots of respects. Um, but, what Kubrick does is that the way he frames the scenes, it's very chaotic in the sense that it'll be quite brutal scenes of brutality, um, painting things on people's chests, saying you should kill him here, to kill him quickly when they're training to be when they're training to be gladiators, and then it trans then it transitions quickly to fight scenes, and then it transitions to 
area, moments of peace and harmony, particularly when um, Kirk Douglas is talking to, um, uh, I can't remember her name now, uh, Gene Simmons, um, Verinia, um, the fish, fictional character. But like, it's, um, there is a moment there that I think, what should I say? I think Kubrick is trying to create a tension between um, ideology in some respects, in the sense that he's um, juxtaposing moments of tenderness with moments of extreme horror or extreme struggle, I think, um, to sort of really hammer home that that, that division and that, that, that conflict in one's mind. Um, Spartacus repeatedly says that um, he's he wants people to be free you know, it's all about freedom. And for me, the the political landscape in which it was written is quite important. 1960, um, sort of the height of the Cold War, the height of McCarthyism as well. And Dalton Trumbo, I mean, he ends up being blacklisted in Hollywood anyway. I mean, he's investigated by the FBI. Um, uh, he, well, he, he was a member of the Communist Party in 1943, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that he's, he, he's adapted the screenplay um, to basically tell a story of a of a collective rising up against a an oppressive mm-hmm. regime or an oppressive class, and you know that critique was lev- has been levied at most West- it was levied at America at the time, and um, the fact that he's he's taking part he's using history to sort of challenge the present in some respects. Yes, um, which I think is quite powerful, um, and I just think it's um it's a really interesting. Uh, uh, cultural um, contemporary, I think, in helping us understand the context of the 60s and how the classics, I suppose, are being used to say something about the modern. Um, and also, there's a lot of chiseled men as well. Like, I think uh, it sounds like a weird sort of segue to go, to go from, like, political class to chiseled men, but, like, um, the the like the feet, the features and the, the bodies in, in, in the film are quite, um, they're quite striking in the way the way um uh um Kubrick has filmed them, he's almost kind of he's framing them as like kind of statues almost, mm-hmm. I think. Framing them as these eternal eternal beasts or these eternal um uh monuments, I suppose. They look they look monumental, like Kirk Douglas's jawline. They they look monumental and I think that's this conscious piece of cinematography to emphasise maybe the um the enduring legacy of um of a struggle against against a regime maybe that was my take on it yeah no some really um, good points there Cam. really good points and i like what you said there in terms of the the cinematographic element of how the the individuals were framed in it i think there's there's a real pouring of masculinity on it at some points a little bit questionable and at some yes points, oh yeah absolutely obviously it's given a depiction of masculinity in that era and how that was inextricably linked to the power structure but then there's also the points of it where the bit where he's talking about his son that he's gonna have as far as he's like there's he gets questioned on it once like or oh, daughter but then like the big mm. scene where he's like uh talking about oh yeah um no matter who lives like uh we will go on forever and our, our son and it's just that accepted that like he's he's made this decision that he's gonna gonna have a son I don't think they had the rudimentary medical equipment to figure that out then, Callum, before, he, before <laughs> the, the child was born. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor, but I don't think they did. 
But, yeah, I totally get your point there in terms of how the film was shot in kind of framing these male figures as statues, icons that would kind of stand through history. Obviously, the issues of that either side, but from the perspective of what the film's doing, very much agree with what you're saying there. And I like the phrase you use there, it's epic, epic storytelling. Absolutely. This is what I was trying to put my finger on earlier, is that this sets the framing of the epic as a a huge film which tells a captivating story but what it does do because i think historically you look at epic storytelling what genre do you link it with probably westerns a lot there's you got big epic Mm. storytelling in westerns but what's one of the issues you have with a lot of historical films which are based around these epics it's the framing the lens from which it retells the story Whereas what's fascinating about this, because on the surface, I didn't have much knowledge of this film, just obviously the I Am Spartacus scene and picturing it as this old film, big, grand story to be told. But it is, there is a lens, there's a perspective on it. And as you said, it's this idea of power, oppression. It's a, a wry look at the idea of Roman power in any kind of state power or any empire or anything like that and looking at the chinks in the armor the Mm. idea of how are these where are the weaknesses and where are the huge negatives here obviously the negatives in something like that is the violence and things but where's the morality for a empire for a generation that seems to be looked at as developers and innovators but what's the what's the cost of that what's is the true morality there and this is a question of morality and the the slaves are the ones who get morality and and what's the best word i'm looking for now but like actual true thinking and value put on them whereas the the roman community with it are looked at as immoral and also weak we see this is a clever bit of the storytelling we see the weaknesses not just the vices of the individuals but the true weaknesses crassus's envy of spartacus his longing to be loved and everything in that area we see a real striking visual in the opening scene where spartacus bites the achilles heel of one of the Mm. romans foreshadowing that's, the future. That's, really, that's a really good point yeah. where he's going to yeah. find the achilles heel of uh, of rome of yeah. the of the emperors whether that be their morality whether it be the the respect that he garners i think that's a great bit of visual filmmaking there but in terms of this look at the power and what it's showing i think as you said from the modern political and historical context of when the film was made striking and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast of films made from the golden age of cinema onward but in the era of communist witch hunt in america and the idea of these films that have a uh, what we'd may even deem just a slightly liberal perspective on things, culturally liberal and a kind of politically leftist view. But this isn't just a story of history. It's looking at what is it we can take from this. And the perspective this film is definitely going at is the oppressed rising against the oppressors and them having the virtue them holding the morality rather than the oppressors which i think is very cleverly done it holds very tightly within the narrative but then also it 
it works in terms of the message it's trying to put on an old tale, what feels like an almost like biblical tale that it's telling, but with this more modern perspective on it. And I just want to go back to that masculinity element, Callum, there. I mm. said what I kind of said just around that bit. I've been intrigued to hear what your views are on it. I know what you said there in terms of how it frames the, the male characters visually, but what do you think it's doing there? Like, from my perspective, it's showing that masculinity, overt masculinity, was inextricably linked with power and and virtue in that era. But in terms of, one, what the film is doing, but also any problems with how far it goes, do you have any insight on that? Well, I think, um, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a product of its time in the sense that... Um, it's championing masculinity to um, achieve change. Um, I mean, Spartacus's, um, uh, I suppose, it's not necessarily his wife, really, um, but her character, um, Verinius, Verinia, sorry, is um, her only goal, her only role in that film is to, um, I suppose, provide. Uh, a sort of revolutionary air in some respects. Yeah. Like when she stood at the base of the crucifix mm-hmm. um, saying, this is your son. I will tell him of the struggles that you have done. Her her sole purpose in the film is just to facilitate um, Spartacus's legacy in some respects. So that means there's an issue there, obviously. Um, I think what Kubrick's tent probably trying to, well, not probably, but is 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 doing is that he's he's emphasizing the um the the legacy of masculinity in some respects mm-hmm. in the context of um someone who's rising up against um an empire a republic sorry that is that is masculine in in itself um maybe he's saying something about maybe the like the the body of the nation maybe the idea is that the the nation is is masculine. And um, in order to challenge masculinity, it takes a stronger man to challenge even stronger men. I don't know. But it's definitely there's the perspective on the story it's telling, isn't it, where power and masculinity are, are clearly linked in it. And I think that comes I mean, I through, think, in, through what it's showing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think... I'm not, I'm not necessarily... I'm not sure whether John Wayne or Ayn Rand would have really liked this movie. Or maybe they no. would have. Maybe they would have done. I don't know. Like in the sense that, like, it's championing sort of like strong masculine virtues. Um, so maybe John Wayne and Ayn Rand might have liked that aspect of it. But... I suppose it does, though, allow a bit of personal vulnerability. And I think the one yeah. thing I wanted to add is that this film absolutely, obviously, physically, it's exploring what freedom is, but it's asking what is freedom to the individual. Are the Roman emperors, those part of Rome, really free? Are they bound to their own? Uh, restrictions and their own frustrations and longings. Are the, are the slaves freer? Hang on, I'll get round to linking it in a minute. Um, but in terms <laughs> of why, what it, the power it's giving the personal identity of Spartacus is saying that he is virtuous because, yes, he is powerful in the strong masculine way that that era. Um, needs and warrants but he, they allow the character some 
personal vulnerability and also pile a lot of morality onto him in in that. I mean, the morality bit is quite obvious in the sense is like freeing slaves and and things like that. But I think that element of allowing him a bit of vulnerability to his identity is especially one for when the era of the film was made, but two for a topic which is very masculine and also an era which is very violence focused in that we're allowing an individual here and who has come from the masses of the slaves that vulnerability of allowing his emotions to come through and that's where his freedom is is that he has the freedom of thought and identity and emotion i think yeah no i think you're right i think it, particularly in the context in which the film was made as well in the 60s the sort of there was a real um i suppose a stranglehold on thought um which i think you know for the 60s there should have been quite a unique well, that's really unique, but quite a new way to sort of re to use to re-examine Rome. Um, I think culturally, Rome had sort of been written as a um, a force for good. You know, this is the classic sort of Monty Python, isn't it? Well, what did the Romans do for us? You know what I mean? It's kind of like there was a there was a, a narrative that exist existed that Rome was wholly sort of positive, I suppose, but then. In the sixties and seventies, revisionist um, movements sort of challenged the, that 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 dogma. Which I think what this film's doing is that it's say it's using it's it's part of that culture of challenging narrative in the sense that it's um, addressing the um, concept of freedom in thought and speech and how that's how that manifests in 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 rebellion. Um, but I also think it's saying something more more about how power corrupts as well. I mean, the, during I mean Spartacus during this time, I mean Rome's still a republic in theory, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a vulnerability even in the Senate as well. I mean, it mentions that when there those sort of back and forths between the Senate and the officers and the commanders, um, there is a vulnerability there that Spartacus is kind of exploiting. I think it's saying that that you know power when it's concentrated within a particular group of people can corrupt maybe. And that Spartacus is the sort of, he's the hero, isn't he? He's the, um, he's the sort of like the, he's the hero that tries to tackle such a, an, a, an enormous force. But then of course he fails because he ends up, him and his colleagues end up being nailed to a crucifix. They end up being crucified. But of course his real victory is the fact that his legacy will live on. Um, the legacy of protest, the legacy of fighting for freedom will live on. I mean, he's, you know, um, Verinia says to him when, whilst he's, whilst the oxygen and the blood is draining from his body on the crucifix, she says, oh, I will tell your son everything that you did for freedom and all this sort of stuff. And it's like... And I think the story's crafted very well to end in the way it it does. Everything links so nicely and it's like a very, very tight, well-written script. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think... This this is why I just find it so interesting. Just the con I think context is so interesting, like, um, in yes, how films yeah. are made. And it's just like I would have loved to have seen the reaction to this when it came out in the sixties, yeah. particularly. And it's so in clear, like you say, that it is very much it's not just the retelling of a story. There's there is an angle on it. There's a perspective that clearly comes through. And we love this in films because it's a platform, is it? It gives a platform for discussion. And yeah. this is a big story told, but from a perspective. I think that is very I'm just strange. To, I'm also just to just sort of end, I suppose. I think, like, I do wonder, like, what what film 
big Hollywood movie would have the same impact or now, you know what I mean? Could a film like Spartacus now be made? You know what I mean? I don't know. An epic that, well, I suppose that from our discussion last episode about Killers of the Flower Moon, we're looking at kind of big story, have a perspective on it and and comment Uh, on our society now. And I think from that, we got a little bit of, Yes, to an extent, there's there's a perspective being put on something. Mm. I I I just, I I think maybe it's something unique to the sixties, though, isn't it? In sort of what was happening in the sixties, um, I don't know it's just it's just something. It's an interesting revolutionary for, mentality. Yeah, it's just an interesting sort of um, thought or question to think about, um, which is why I I love this movie because it makes you think. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the two pillars of great film as I always bang Absolutely. on about yeah. but just before we round off oh, yeah, I just wanted sorry, to say a l- yeah, yeah. little sorry. bit more about Stanley Kubrick and the making of this film yeah. Obviously. yeah absolutely. we mentioned that yeah. but I just wanted to say I think visually fantastic but there's some fantastic sets in it in the sense mm. that like physical sets I loved there were some points where you're looking at it going that's definitely been done in a film studio in London but look brilliant like the scenes where obviously they're going on these big walks and you see that but then they kind of settle down for some interactions in a wooded area and you're like you can kind of see oh in the background there's the big painted backdrop that's been done but it looks great and cool, I mean, that's yeah. something that you don't that is of a certain time isn't it anything that's done on a, a set like that now well not anything but there's obviously a lot of green screen or infinite walls and things like that but this grand set that's being built is quite quite cool and wonderful to see of a certain of a certain time of filmmaking but i loved the sets in terms of the theater that it created the set of the senates was really great and striking like an actual theatrical performance has been taken place in those in what is a kind of theater setting and the the settings of the houses in which each of the uh, the Romans lived in and the interplay that played out within those and then the camps that were set up. There's a lot of really striking sets, but that were built and allowed the story to play out in a theatrical way. And it's not a film that focuses on visuals in terms of, oh, this is really needs to be a striking visual, especially like with the battle scenes. It's not like, oh, we need all this happening. It has to be mad. I mean, those battle scenes are really impressive and how it just kind of plays out in real time in many of them, the Roman formation happening just with that wide camera taking it all in from the top of the hill from the perspective of of the uh, the slave and the rebellious army. But there's just a lot of satisfying cinema to look at, a lot of great film just to look at on the screen. And putting all the themes and story aside, I really appreciated watching the film in front uh, of me play out, and I thought that was pretty wonderful, actually. Yeah, no, I agree. I was, yeah, I, I agree completely. And it's like sort of pre-CGI, pre-computer as well, so everyone in that scene is an actual person. Um, yeah. Which is like, again, something that, I sort of like oh the grandness of it all. Yeah, I just sort of like really sort of um it's weird. I had to I'm, I'm I had to consciously think, oh, everyone in this in this camera shot is an actual human being, an actual person. You know it reminded me of it, it reminded me of the of uh, there's a scene a, a chapter in um, The Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West. Um which incidentally for listeners is uh, actually on the uh Glace uh media blog. Um <laughs> Check it out, glassamedia.com forward slash blog. There we go. Um, uh, 1939 novel. It's about um, 
well, you'd have to read the blog to find out what it's about, guys. But um, it, it, there's a, there's a scene in that novel where it talks about the sort of like the person moving through a Hollywood set and it's like Roman facades and it's like everything's handcrafted and hand and painted and by artists. I mean, I know Kubrick was very he saw the camera as a photographing a photographic a photographic element anyway, and there are there were some. It was very sort of photographic. Mm-hmm. The, the the sets and the the, the scenes they were yeah every, every 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 bit of the film could could have been an iconic still of the film right there yeah you know it's like it's almost like he's taken a thousand really really good photographs smashed them together and made a film mm-hmm. um so good so good yeah you're right yeah yeah lovely well thank you Callum let's 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 start wrapping yeah, up you. now and, and giving our a final thoughts what. I'm just going to recap on what I said right at the beginning. Great story, really engrossing. So in terms of the sense of what it was offering on the, my first pillar of a great film of was it captivating to watch? Absolutely, it was captivating to watch. Yeah. It was a brilliant story, very well executed. And as I said before, the script was so tight and it was a satisfying ending in the way that it didn't feel like a cop-out ending, but at the same time it felt meaningful and it carried the thread of the film through really well and also the power of the narrative it was telling it was really fascinating to see the angle that was put on it through what lens the film was produced and what it was showing but i thought there was a lot to be gotten out of it second pillar of a great film is it making you think is it giving you questions to consider afterwards yeah definitely it had all of that and visually fantastic i really enjoyed it i thought it was a brilliant film it was great to really dive back into some of stanley kubrick's early work which we hadn't touched upon before and give it a watch so i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten Callum. nice um i'm gonna give it 10 just because it is brilliant <laughs> that's it anything else <laughs> ten, 10 it's just brilliant um I mean, I know. I just, I really, the the set I thought was brilliant. The way it's filmed is brilliant. I thought the script is great. It didn't actually feel like a three out, three nearly three and a half hour movie. No. Bizarrely, and I also loved the little intermission as well. That was quite cool. Yeah, um, bring back intermissions at the cinema. That's yeah. what I say. Yeah, that was good. Um, but yeah, it was. I thought that in terms of like an episode from history being written so creatively to say something meaningful about the present I thought was quite interesting um, I think the fact that it was released in 1960 a film like that could only have been released in 1960 in some respects just because of the who who it's written by and how it's how it's produced I love it it's such a good movie and I also now I know I can see watching that I can also see how most uh, directors of the 20th and late 20th and 21st century have been influenced by Kubrick. I can see the origin of it all now. And I love I love that. I love being able to see the origin of things. I mean, I went to see Black Flag ages ago and I was like, oh, every punk band is based off. I can hear every punk band I've ever listened to in this band here. It's just like, I love, I love, I love origin stories, I suppose. Um, Absolutely. There you go. And that's so. lovely. And that's lovely to see. And I, I like seeing you enjoy a good film, Callum. Gives me <laughs> joy as well. And we can well, share make... that together. In the Class yeah. A Film Club, that's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy makes, with everyone. Makes a change from... What are you trying to say? I'm usually scowling. Like. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I like seeing you enjoy. It gives me satisfaction seeing a smile on your face. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, yeah. let's end on that absolute high let's... then with smiles and laughter in the air. And yeah, let's... That, yeah, yeah. that was another great episode of the Glassay Film Club podcast, dived into Spartacus, 1960s epic. But of course, we'll keep covering modern films. There's a lot coming out at the cinema in the coming months. Obviously, we're rattling towards awards season now at the start of next year, so films tend to come out but you're a bit artier, a bit more epic ones that they think might be in there for the Oscars so we'll make sure we keep abreast of all of those big releases that are coming out I'm very excited for a few of those but don't worry we'll we'll throw back to some old ones as well we like to keep everyone on the toes and making sure we're watching some classic cinema as well as well as featuring some conversation episodes with some interesting individuals Make sure you get back to the uh, on the back catalogue. There's plenty of episodes to check out. I think we've cleared over a hundred with combining our reviews and and conversation episodes now. So if you liked this episode, don't worry. Make sure you get back because there's plenty more to listen to, and we will keep there week on week getting new episodes out there. But that was that. Until next time, keep listening, keep watching films. That was another episode of the Glassy Film Club podcast. We'll see you all later.